Just out of interest, does anyone know what the chart position this week was for the album? (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Who the bloody hell's that? Oh, Anthony, how are we? I'm really well. How are you? Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 98 of the Corona Diaries. Uh, and, And this week's an extension, really. It's an extended episode. Because we're kind of still where we were in '97, we're still on the we, we're trapped in the same Zoom call, um, drinking the same gin. Drinking well, that's fresh gin. You've just been to fetch that. Yeah, you finish your tequila. I went next door. Oh. She's you... very understanding. That old dear. <laughs> I've met her. <laughs> um, we we're still doing our uh, an hour before it's dark special. Um, we've still we've we've got halfway through the questions uh, from last time, so we've got we've got six questions to go. Um, so you're going to hear from Andy, Paul, Guy, uh, Richard, Jackie, and Jochen. Um and we're going to start with Richard. So if everybody's ready, and if you've listened to, listened to ninety seven, you kind of know what we're doing. So we'll go straight in with a question from Richard and then an answer from H. Richard, over to you. Hello, uh, hello, Steve. Um... First off, thank you so much for a fantastic album. Um, I think the universal response to care in particular has been quite something. And just speaking for myself, uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks um, the first time. Um, So with all of that in mind, um, this is perhaps a bit of a generic question, but were you all prepared for the emotional response to the album to be as potent as it has been and perhaps care in particular and given the timing of its release that um world events would conspire to magnify that uh, because it certainly has for me uh with stuff i'm dealing with right now um and as a follow-on are you prepared for the emotional impact of the songs on a live audience? Got me tickets this morning, by the way. And uh, will you be supplying Marillion branded tissues? Um, because I think they're probably going to be your biggest seller. Well, I wondered about, I wondered about, you know, how you've got like glass spectacles, but with silica gel bags in the, in the, uh, where the lenses ought to be. Could be a winner that you could just pop on. You know, and then off again, um, <laughs> thereby you know remaining macho, and and you know no one knowing you. Excuse me, sorry, where were we? That kind of thing, you know, um, could be a winner. Um, I can't help but be flippant because I've been drinking. But seriously, when you said you'd got things that you're dealing with now, what what did you mean exactly? Um, well, my partner Liana is from Ukraine and um, she went back to Ukraine at the end of January 
to renew her visa. And she was hoping that that whole process would complete um, to allow her to get back to the UK before the war broke out because something was obviously brewing. Um, coming. But um, yeah, the, she's still waiting for the visa to be issued. Um, so she escaped from Ukraine on the 27th of February. She's currently in Moldova. She says hi, by the way. Um, Say hi back. I will do. I will do. I'll pass that on. Um, thank you. Um, so, yeah, it's been a it's been a strange old time, and I think conversations she and I were having in the days leading up to her getting out of Ukraine were the, not the sort of conversations I ever thought I'd ever have with anybody in terms of what was going on and what might happen. So. Yeah. That being the context for me personally, um, last week when I heard the album Care, I don't know. I guess it just opened the floodgate. The, the excuse me, the floodgates in a way that I probably really needed. Actually, it really sort of hit home. Even if that's not necessarily what the song's about, everybody's got their own stuff going on, and I think that's why everybody's responded to it the way they have. Well, to answer your question, um, certainly no one in the band, uh, I may be doing them a bit of a disservice, but I'm, ne I'm, I'm, never, I'm never too sure whether they've a clue what I'm on about when we're putting these albums together. Um, they're so um, taken up by their minor sevenths and their major ninths and their what if this went up a, a minor this and went down and semi that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm the same. I understand the musical language, of course. I am, I am fairly, fairly musical. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 all I can really remember was that care particularly has been mined from some really peculiar places, maintenance drugs. I got a friend called Conrado in Mexico City and, and I had lunch with him in, uh, I had lunch with him a few years ago uh, because he was at a show in Los Angeles. We, we played the, um, <sighs> I can't remember. We played a gig in Los Angeles and, and we, we had lunch and um, he said to me, and I was with, he was with his family, he was with his wife and his daughters. And he, and he said, I've just, I've been getting these pains in my back and I went to see the doctor and um, cut a long story short, I've got uh, tumors all the way up my spine and they're inoperable because they're right next to my spinal cord and they don't, they can't um they can't fix them with surgery without risking paralyzing me um so they're gonna try and do it all with chemo and and radiotherapy in fact i'm not even sure if they could hit him with radiotherapy but he did a lot of chemo and every time he he, he did a chemo session he whatsapped me a photograph of himself with the tube and his shoulder and waving you know session two and then session three and then he'd have no hair you know and his hair had gone and then session four he was 
looking really ill, you know. Um, and so I kind of made that journey with him. And I'm happy to say that they seem to have fixed him. They seem to have got rid of all of these tumours and he's, he's a fine physical specimen. He's in much better shape than I am. And, um, and so I made that journey with him and, and that stuck with me, you know, and he, I think he'd even said to me, they're giving me maintenance drugs, you know, and they say I'll be okay and they're going to test me once a year now. And so that they all came from a real place, from a, from an actual lived experience that did. Oh, nice top, sir. Uh, a, a lived experience that that uh, that uh, journey that I'd made. And so they're real things, and and that that's a real thing, which then goes into the these are the days flash before our eyes, which are real words that I wrote down at one point in my life when I was very very moved. Uh, you know, I'm very in love. Um, and, and, and the end section was written on the spot by, by seeing the mural of the nurse. And, and that was what opened my floodgates was seeing that, um, seeing that man painting that, that woman on the wall and the expression in her eyes that had been caught by, by uh, Johanna Churchill who'd, who'd taken the original photograph she, it was like she'd captured everything at once that uh, the care workers had gone through. She captured her exhaustion. She captured her anger. She captured her care. She captured her frustration. She captured her confusion. Uh, she, and she captured her fear all in one expression. And I, 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 it knocked me right down. Because I was already there, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd already imagined what those people were going through, um, and the, you know, the fear, the absolute fear of, of, of um, your own mortality. Um, some of those care workers gave their own lives in the early part of that pandemic because they weren't supplied with adequate PPE, or they were supplied with the wrong PPE. Um, and so in that moment, I was really laid out by that one image and, and the entire end section came from there. But the thing about words is they only really, really knock you right over if, if the music they're wrapped around is doing exactly the right thing at the right time. Mm, and that, that end section of care, um, the way those chords and the bass line moves around against my little mantras is just sublime. And it does everything it needs to do at the very moment it needs to do it. Uh, the way it moves from the minors, uh, the way it walks up to the majors and then back down, and the way it just sways around, you know, and the way it comes home when I, when I sing... Uh, um, heroes in this world working while we're all sleeping. The way it just goes major at that point, it just goes. Mm. So there's. It's not just the words; it's the sensitivity of um, 
of the way the song is then arranged, the way the way the musicians approach how what they do and how they build it up. And I think this album perhaps represents all five of us right at the top of our game. And, yeah. and I said that to the boys today. I sent them an email and I said, I think I couldn't single any one of us out because everybody's just, you know, right, you know, do, really at the top of uh, of what they're personally capable of at once on this album. Um and so there's a lot there's a lot of sensitivity and there's a lot of taste employed to get this where it's got and uh no small thanks to Mike Hunter for assembling it and putting it together but he didn't do all of it you know there it was six of us all all feeding into it at once and honing it um but nonetheless I wasn't ready for what it's done to people it, it, it's really surprised me, pleasantly surprised me, um, because when you put yourself into a piece of art, you always, I'm talking for myself, you, you always wonder if pe- other people will get it. You think, am I on my own with this? Does this mean something to me that just isn't going to go there, you know, and it's going to be like my own private joke forever? Um or will will people get it? Will it translate into other people's hearts and souls? And this really has. And I, you, you know, you always hope that. But I've been amazed at the extent to which it has. But in an attempt to analyse it, which you shouldn't, but in an attempt to analyse it, I think that we've all been on. I mean, everybody on the planet just about has been on the same journey for once. You know, and in that sense, it reminds us all just how similar we all are. We're basically all the same piece of meat at the end of the day. We've got living our own lives, we're doing our own things. Um, we're pulling whatever stunts we have to pull to make us seem special. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're all very, very similar to each other, Um some of us are stronger, some of us are weaker, some of us uh, have learned from certain experiences, some of us just haven't, but we're all very similar. And, and, and we've all made this journey that we've, that's been forced upon us by this dreadful pandemic, and it's taught us a lot, but it's also scarred all of us in, in places that are perhaps quite a lot deeper than, than we realise until somebody else shines a light on them. And I think what care does is it shines a light on everybody's scar tissue. And that's that's why it's done what it's done. Um, mm. And I didn't write that hoping that that would happen. I, uh, I didn't write that to try and hurt anyone or liberate anyone or move anyone. I, I just wrote it because it moved me. Uh, just wrote it saying, bam, this is what I've just seen. This is what's made me think. This is what I want to, what it's made me feel. This is what I want to say. And I could have shouted that into a vacuum. But as, as it is, this whirlwind of emotion has come back, for which I'm extremely grateful, 
because it makes me feel like I've helped. And uh, no, I don't know how I'm going to sing it live because I'm I'm quite an emotional person myself, as you probably noticed. And how the hell I'm going to get through it live, I have no idea. Uh, I'll do my best. Well, we'll all get through it together, I think. You'll get some help. We'll wear the glasses. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. And Richard, and there's a lot of Thank people you. mentioned it in the chat. There's been a lot of people, uh, obviously, um, sending their best wishes. Me too, man. I, that's that's must be so bloody painful. It, it's bad enough when you're not personally connected to it. So you you know you have you you have my thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I definitely will pass that on. And all being me well, too. she'll be um, she'll be with me at Hammersmith in September. I, I'm humbled by um, I'm humbled by by the uh, the spirit of the Ukrainian people. It's, it's yeah, it knocks you down. It's, it does. I'm not, I'm not just talking about the young lads who are standing with guns. I'm talking about the old ladies, you know, with bad legs who are, who are, who are trying to get get out of that. I mean, it's unreal. Mm. Um, just just how they how they're taking it, how they're Coping, the spirit is is really, really bloody humbling. Absolutely, thank you, thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Uh, we'll we'll move on to Guy, who's been who's basically been um, giving giving trolling me, I think, on uh, on the chat function for most of the evening. Uh, so so, Guy, if you're ready, just dive in. Okay, so H, how did you get uh, that shirt, Guy? It wasn't Selfridges, was it? No, it wasn't. It was a Swedish internet site. H. Oh, I can't tell you. Oh, I've had a few things from Swedish internet sites. So, so let's, not, let's not talk about that. Anyway, my question hopefully um, will take a little less time to answer. My question is regarding um, Messrs. Bissett, Hartshorn, Underwood, and Puzzlow who are not solicitors from the planet Marzipan, I hasten to add. Uh, I've got one of the rare unsigned versions of the CD and DVD. <laughs> and I've noticed in the... Uh, worth a fortune, that, mate. It, no, it's, it's worth it. more than the signed ones. Yeah, I'm all right, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they're on eBay. Yeah. No, 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 no. I've noticed on four song credits that you have people making either noises or sounds. So I have a few little questions, but for the benefit of the participants and everybody else that's on the call, on Be Hard On Yourself, there's a credit to P. Bibisit for additional noises. Bibisit, yes. Oh, he was there, man. He was on there. Reprogram the Gene, you've got B. Hartzorn making sounds. Uh, Barton, yes. Yes, he was and there. On, on Murder Machines, you've got G. Underwood making sounds. And yeah, on Sierra Leone, you've got D. Paslow making noises. Yes. Right. Right. So, Mike, I've got three third questions here. Not, what's the difference between a sound and a noise? Ah. Second question is, are they vocal, instrumental or other? And the third question is, how were they chosen? Right. Okay. Question one. The difference between a sound and a noise can be best explained by um, a point in time where Keith Moon arrived in a breakfast room in a hotel in America uh, playing um, 
the Who's latest demos, which he was trying to learn. Um, and he was probably playing them quite loud. And somebody must have complained because the manager came over and said, uh, excuse me, sir, would you mind turning that noise off? And Keith said, excuse me, follow me. And he went and he got in the lift. He went up in the lift. He went down the corridor. The manager of the hotel followed him. He, went, he got to his room and he said, wait there. He went into the room. And whilst the manager stood outside the room, he completely destroyed it. And then he opened the door and he said, that was a noise. This is the who. And I think that probably answers your first question. Um, question two. Question two was, um, were they vocal, instrumental or other? All right. Well, answer, the answer to question two and three are the same, which is basically that we go home at night and Mike lives in, the, in our studio. He usually opens a bottle of wine when we've gone, quite often as soon as we've gone, because it stops him committing suicide. Um, and... Uh, he works without us in the evenings, uh, assembling whatever we've done. And sometimes it helps in that process if he plays a few things as well. Sometimes he'll throw some guitar chords down on top that he knows he'll never persuade others to, to play. Um, sometimes, you know, he'll find something. He'll find he'll he'll find some samples that he can lay on top of the drums or drum loops or whatever. And whenever he contributes personally to our album and plays on it, he gives himself pseudonyms, and those pseudonyms are the names of the villages that surround where the studio is. So D. Parslow is Drayton Parslow, which is a village in, in, uh, in Buckinghamshire. G. Underwood is Grendon Underwood, which is a village in Buckinghamshire. P. Bissett is Preston Bissett, which is another village in, uh, in Buckinghamshire or Oxfordshire. Uh, so all, all his overdub credits are just the names of villages. Um, sometimes they're even the names of streets. But he's so modest, he doesn't want to put his own name on them. So he makes, he may, he'll, be, he'll, be, he'll be pissed off with me that I've told you this. Uh, but uh, they're all him. And because they're all him, I have no idea what he's done. But uh, it'll, be, it'll be pretty all-encompassing. I don't think it'll be singing because he's not much of a singer. But it it could be it could be other stuff. It could be percussion. Could be a bit of guitar because he's a good good guitarist. He's a really good bass player. But I don't think he would ever put any bass on the album because uh, I think he's pretty. You know, he would always he would always pass that over to Pete. Um, but the occasional guitar chord, power chord, and whatnot. You can't get Rothers to do stuff like that. He turns his nose up at it. <laughs> what a fantastic answer. I did, really didn't expect that, H. Thanks so much. So my, I, I, I need to say thank you to you and, and the band and Cry Noir and the String Quartet and everybody else that's, that, that, that's contributed to this because it really is absolutely superb. Really? The only other thing I'd like to say is 
please try and get the 12 inch remix of uh, of murder machines into the live set because it's absolutely fantastic all right i will pass that on to mike that was was one that that was one of his afternoons i think or one of his red wine evenings went into that enjoy you gin thanks very much h we'll see you at blackburn yeah rightly ho back to blackburn indeedy doody see you later thank you very much thanks guy One, two, three. I suppose we better we better jump to the podcaster on the on the call because oh, uh, we actually have a, a, a proper podcaster on the call. So, Paul, are you uh, are you ready for us? Yeah, I'm happy to go. Uh, good evening, H. Congratulations! Hi, All right, congratulations on the number two. Sorry uh, for saying that, but I couldn't resist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read this, otherwise it's going to become a waffle uh, and it'll end up like a Marillion Jam session. So uh, here we go. In the past, there often seemed to be songs on the album which you brought to the band, such as Easter and Hollow Man, but I don't recall hearing this in relation to an hour before it's dark or the last few albums. I wondered whether your role during the writing stages has changed and whether you're now strictly more just a lyrics and vocals guy or whether you do still get stuck in with the keyboards during the jamming and writing stages. Good question. Um, I haven't done so much of late of, um, of kind of falling into the room and going, oh, what about this? Um, and I don't know why that is. It might just be because, well, maybe I just haven't had any ideas. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, obviously when you're surrounded by the calibre of musicians I'm surrounded by, you've got to feel pretty certain about what you're bringing into the room uh, be- before, you even, uh, before you even run it past everybody because there's always a lot of like, oh, is that it? You know, I, I did do quite a lot of work on uh, on a on an idea that was going to be called the Queen of Kawasaki, um, and I made a little demo and everything, and I played it to it, and I thought it was pretty good, and I played it to everybody, and I just got the old, oh yeah, next sort of thing, you know. So sometimes I'd, ra- I'd rather just not do it because I find it quite painful. I'm, I'm not good with rejection, never have been. Um, so I'd almost rather, that's why I'm not competitive. You know, when I was at school, I was lousy at sport because I'd rather not do it at all than than be judged or be worse. Uh, I hated uh, not measuring up. And my way of not of, of of coping with that was just not to turn up. Um, then then I couldn't be measured, and I'm still a bit like that musically. I think, um, so, but at the same time, on this album, I, I was going to come back to An- Henrik actually because the one bit of Henrik's question I didn't answer was that uh, was this any different this time? And it, the way it was different was that um, Rothers wouldn't leave the house because we were all locked down and he was fairly 
convinced that if he got the the plague, he, it would kill him. So he was lying under the bed or wherever, but he, he would he wouldn't come out. And so, which is fair enough, you know, because he he was in a high risk sort of a category. Um, and so a lot of the early gems on this album happened without him, happened without him in the room. And so I don't know what you can conclude from that. I, I think it was more keyboard led. And I think Mark Kelly came up with an awful lot of, of the initial musical ideas while I was on mic doing, you know, on microphone doing my thing with the words. So maybe the thing is a little bit more keyboard driven at source. Um, and then Steve joined us later and, you know, as, as you can hear, got very much involved, but he got involved later rather than at, so much at the very outset. What was your question, Paul? Because I've wondered. <laughs> it was whether you you are less involved in terms of sort of suggesting musical ideas. Oh yeah, just... uh, I might have been. Yeah, the the only thing I can think of, I think I think reprogram the gene probably came from me. Um, although you can barely hear the piano playing, I think it was quite. Quite, uh, I can't. I don't key it's in, but I think it was quite piano vamp driven throughout, um, and I think I had that going. So I was very much in. Uh, I was channeling Mike Scott, I think, to some degree, and I was also channeling Patty Smith. Um, when that was coming together, it just felt like that kind of a song, uh, a song all about energy and 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 insistence and repetition. Um, which Mike Scott wrote some notes about what he'd learned from various different artists. And he said that from the Velvet Underground, he, he learned how an insistent thing that doesn't change at all can be exquisite. Um, now in Marillion, the cardinal sin is for anything not to change. If it hasn't had, if it hasn't had the ultimate chord change, it's worth nothing in certain people's eyes. And I don't subscribe necessarily to that view. Um, so anything that goes on and on and doesn't change much, you can bet has probably come from me because nobody else will dream of doing it. Um, <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> um, but th that's probably what makes us, you know, what, what makes us who we are, that we've got all of these different viewpoints pulling and pushing uh, and vying for uh, not attention, but importance. And so, you know, it's a lot harder to dismiss something when you've got somebody on its team. And we're all on different teams in this band in a way. Uh, so we're all covering different, we're all covering different bases at once. Um, I think the only thing I I, I wrote, yeah, I, I mean, you you hear the vamps in um, it, that's like an E. I'm just doing that in um, in sections of reprogram the gene. So 
when those vamps come in, they're me. But but I'll have been all the way through that. And then I think Mike just wrote them down uh, when other things came in. Um, and the only th- the only thing that's really exposed that I did was the intro of. Uh, at the beginning of Sierra Leone that's me um, that's just piano and voice and that's probably all I did in that song and then and then, and then the other thing comes in um, that, that, that comes off it so that's probably the most exposed I am on the album and that's probably the only bit that I will actually I'll probably sit down at the piano live and play that mm. um, but probably nothing else if it makes you feel better, the program the Gene and Sierra Leone are probably my two favourites on the album. That's so, um. great. I mean, what's lovely is that different people are pulling out different tunes. There's not a duffer, so no. no. That, that's that, that's great. It's it's uh, what's the word? There's something for everyone. Yes, indeed. Even us. It's <laughs> a relief. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Uh, Jackie, I like Will, I think my f- the thing that hit me first was Sierra Leone, Will. Yeah. And the thing that struck me was, um, you know, the imagery in the words, um, particularly the colours and, uh, you know, the lyrics, the colours in the lyrics. And as I said to H, my favourite lyric is uh, from This Strange Engine and the, you know, the embers thrown across the water and going from crimson to black, which is just awesome to me. So my question was, you know, do you think about, do you have a picture in your mind when you have a lyric and then you, you write to that or do you, have, do you have a story and then, you, you know, you have your images that uh, you then write to? That was, that was my question. Well, I think it's the story first, but I, I, do, I do see music very much uh, pictorially. Um, I do I I do think that when I mean when I hear music I I I see things you know so I, uh, any kind of music will, will take me to a a place and a landscape um you know whether it's bleak or beautiful or nautical or in the desert or up in the sky or wherever it is it'll take me to places and and when and when we're writing music, I take a lot of care over making sure those pictures are painted properly and nothing gets in the way of them. And I'll sometimes have fights with other mu- other members of the band because I'll say, can't you see that this is this? You can't, you can't do that because it'll cease to be this then. And, you, you know, you... you when you're working with a bunch of musicians, very musical people, they can perceive beauty as a certain interval between two tones or notes. Or I don't see the beauty in music like that. I see, I, I see the beauty in music as the pictures it paints. Mm. And if I'm trying to paint a picture with words then I'm fighting like hell for the, for the music to paint that same picture. Uh, and it can't always, and maybe often I'm the only one who knows. But 
I'm always striving towards that, um, that, you know, the, the, what the music's saying and what the words are saying being the same message. And that's quite difficult to do. Um, but every now and again, you get it right. And when you do, it's, it's so powerful because then it's like a laser. It's like everything is in, everything is in phase. And so it really will cut through anything then emotionally. Um, so that's what I'm after. And, and I, again, maybe that's why, why we've, why care is, is destroying so many people is because the, there are whole sections of care where, where what the music is saying and what the words are saying are exactly the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so then it's it, it's greater than all the sum of its parts. The Invisible Man was like that. Uh, I'd got I'd got all those words, you know, the world's gone mad, and you know, I'll hear your prayers when you whisper alone. And that that whole section, and uh, Megan was producing that, of course. He's a very sensitive man, and between us all, we found exactly the right musical moments that would drive that thing forward, you know, in a, in a really unstoppable way. So that what I was saying would be perfectly reflected in the music. And for years, that was, I thought that was the best thing we'd ever done. I don't know if it still is. It's, it's up there um, for that reason, that it was such a, it was such a, a powerful and painful mm. expression of love, um, and yet it was wrapped around exactly the right music all the time for it. Um, you know, that's it, a lot easier said than done. Mm. I know you talk about, you know, the, the standard uh, joke is Merillion's, you know, about death and water, but I think colour's absolutely in there, you know, because blue crops up. I mean, the blue warmer is just an awesome metaphor, isn't it? It's just amazing. Just think and blue crops up in you know sky above the rain. It's just awesome. So I think color is a huge thing in you know in Merillion Merillion songs. Yeah, the sky above the rain was a lovely, a lovely. Um, oh, note. awesome! Yeah. You know, if you've if you've ever flown, which I'm sure you have, mm. that ability to escape from the drizzle into that amazing wide open place, and all you've got to do is get above them. Um, because when you're below them in Manchester or Doncaster or wherever you are on a pissing down horrible day, <laughs> you're in another world, aren't you? And it's so easy to forget that not that far at all up there, it's amazing, it's beautiful, and, and you're in this place like you're in a box, you're in a depressed box. And so to remember that you that, that's so close to you, is that is that beauty and that freedom and that light? It's worth remembering that when you're feeling a bit down, you know. Thanks, Joachim. Um, Joachim, thank you for having me um, on the show. Um, it's a great honor, and um, I also wanted to express uh, what a perfect album an hour before it's dark um, uh, has become. And uh, congratulations for that. Um, I think it's a an incredible album and music and the lyrics and the vocals uh, fit uh, together so well. So um, 
Yeah, and um, actually, I'm a little embarrassed about my questions. Uh, they seem a bit weird. Um, I had to write them down, actually. Um, so um, I was wondering if you have a favorite note or a favorite chord um, or a favorite moment or sound in the album, if it's possible at all to pick something. Favorite note, favorite chord. I like these. Mike calls them metal chords because they sound like someone wearing metals playing the piano. I love anything that has all of those little, you know, that's where. I like, I, 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 you know, if, if you play piano, which I do badly, um, everything's very pure on a piano in a way that it isn't on guitar. Um, it's not, uh, guitars are harmonically really rich. And so a major chord on a guitar sounds wonderful, whereas a major chord on a piano, It's kind of dull and a bit boring. So to add, you know, to add a ninth or to add a minor ninth or to add a minor ninth with a seventh, it, it just starts to make those chords interesting. My, when I was 17, my favorite chord was the minor seven. Because uh, I thought I'd invented it myself. <laughs> And I thought, that's the best chord anyone has ever played. Um, and I got very carried away with. And of course, it isn't. Um, I mean, it's a lovely chord, but it's not the best chord ever. I think the, I think adding a ninth to it, adding that to it, you get that tension between there. So uh, sevenths and ninths are my favourite chords. As for the album, um, wow, um, favourite moment. Did you say moment or did you say, what did you say? What was the question? Yeah, I said moment. Um, I th well, sound. one of my favourite moments is where the choir piles in on uh, the heroes in this world working while we're all sleeping. The end of, you know, during the angels on earth. Um, we gave them a brief to, to try and have that Bulgarian thing going with those... <laughs> The no vibrato, uh, very straight, uh, interesting, sort of slightly clashing um, intervals. Um, we, 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 we sent them some Bulgarian singers and said, channel this. Uh, and they did quite well. Um, 
that's a hell of a moment when 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 they come piling in and i love the um, i love what they did in the introduction of crow and the nightingale that was going to be I think that was going to be in the song somewhere. They 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 sent that in as part of the song, and it was so beautiful. I said to Mike, "You know what? We should just we should just isolate that and put it on the front before anybody does anything, um, because it needs to be heard. And if we put it in the song, you'll hear it, but you won't really hear it. It'll be obscured by by us. Um, so we took it out of the song and we put it on the front." And that's how come it starts like it does. Uh, similarly, at the end, at the very, very end, um, there was there was a little bit of, you know, Mike wasn't sure if it was a bit much. Um, you know, Locke and Helena trying a padded room behind frosted glass howling, the moon squawking in the sky, a racket and a tune. When When I first came up with that, um oh that could answer another question paul i came up with that i ca- i came up with an end tag on um crow and the nightingale and also the drop um you know it, it kind of the band comes in bashes like hell and then just stops uh make it something that can be looked at without hurting um, I can try that little quiet moment before it kicks off again was something I put in because I, I felt it needed to stop and it needed to drop right back down. And so I wrote that uh, and I wrote the end, the lock in hell and a Troy bit and racket and a tune on the end. And having written that, it was, it was very, it was just piano and voice and it was very quiet. And when the choir did what they did at the end, it was a bit of a shit. That's a bit weird. It was weirder than I'd imagined it being, but we we decided, and I totally agreed, that it was so beautiful. It should it, it that should be how the song ended. And, and if we were careful, we could probably do that with losing without losing any of the intimacy. And I don't think it does really. Did I miss anything out? I for, did I forget the favorite note? <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were going to say B flat or something, but maybe in a certain moment of the song, um, minute two of um, Be Hard on Yourself or something like oh, that. I see. Well, I, if I had perfect pitch, I could tell you that, but uh, I, haven't, I haven't a clue. B flat is fantastic. It's all right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joachim. Um, Andy, Andy Meany, bring it home, Andy. It's you. It's all down to you now. The entire evening rests on you. No pressure. Uh, yeah. So my question is about Crow and the Nightingale, and uh, I guess I guess a point first, which is um, H that you said in the documentary that you're the crow uh, and uh, he's the nightingale. Uh, I think we've all discovered during this episode or episodes of the podcast that. Uh, you're the nightingale h you're you're our nightingale um but but without being an in, uh, a complete sycophant I, I was interested in um uh, which of the lennon cohen writings or lyrics uh appear in the song how, how have you 
how he brought him into the Crow and the Nightingale. He he wrote a book called uh, The Book of Longing. It's only a little, it's a thin uh, little paperback of poems. Um, he, he went to a, a Zen monastery in up a mountain in California somewhere, um, probably to get over a woman. Of that's just a guess. Um, and uh, he went and, and basically lived as a monk for a period of time. And I think he went twice in the end. I think the first time it didn't quite work out, but then he had another go. And I think the second time it was more successful. But while he was alone and living um, this sort of monastic life, he wrote a book called The Book of Longing, which is full of little poems and also his own illustrations. And I picked that up somewhere, I don't know, years and years ago. And and I, I lived with it for a while. And I thought it was beautiful, but I didn't understand some of it. But I, then I realised later on it didn't matter that I didn't understand it. Um, you know, you don't have to understand art for it to take you somewhere, and that, whether that's poetry or, or, or painting or music. You don't have to know where it's come from or what bloody size brushes the artist was using or... or I mean, it's. I guess it's nice if you do, and it gives it another depth and another level of understanding. But all that really matters is that it takes you somewhere. In fact, you could argue that the more technical understanding you have of the process, the less pure the experience becomes. Uh, I would give my right arm sometimes to just hear music, as though, as though you know, as someone who's never made music and hadn't got the foggiest idea how it was created, because I think it would have a totally different effect on me. As it is, I can barely listen to the mute, to the radio because I put the radio on and all I can hear is where they've stolen it from. You know, I go, oh, right, they've nicked that from that, and oh, that's that, and oh, well, you're right, I might have to do that, and blah, 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 I've heard that all before, and blah, blah, blah. You know, all the kids think it's great, which is fair enough. But but because I've I've made music for so long, all I can hear is where it's come from and how how it's been done. I, you know, it's like seeing a magic trick and watching the rabbit come out of the hat, and you know where he kept the bloody rabbit all along. Whereas you don't want to know that. You want to go, holy shit! Where did the rabbit come from? So, um, what was the question? So I, I was I was asking how much of Leonard Cohen's writings, right. songs, or so, songs or the book can, yeah. comes into the lyrics. You don't you don't have to know what it means, and so that's what I'm saying. Thank you for your words of longing. It's a little book called The Book of Longing, and if you get it, if you get hold of it, you could still buy it on Amazon or wherever. Then I don't know if the song will make any more sense to you, but at least you'll you'll hear where you hear what inspired it. Um, and I didn't understand all of it, and that didn't matter. And Leonard had died, and I wanted to say something because I'm so in awe of him, and I'm still discovering him. Um, I've been a bit late to the table. I, I'm still hearing Leonard Cohen songs from time to time that I didn't know he'd written, and then knocking me out completely. Um, 
But the parts of it that I used, I think I, I think I only outright, I didn't steal it. I just wanted it in there, you know, a bit like I wanted. There were bits of Easter 1916 that I wanted in Easter because I wanted to nod at WB Yeats. And there was bits of the second coming that I wanted in Gaza because they felt right. They felt apocalyptic. Uh, so it's not that I've nicked them. It's just that I'm going, what about this? And so... Um, really late on in the writing process, I'd, I'd already done the lead vocals and I went in one night and I said to Mike, I'd just like to throw a couple of things in uh, at the end, uh, if you don't mind, let me try them. And he said, well, what are they? And I said, I want to sing better than blindness, better than darkness, because they're two of the, the, the there's a, a poem in that book of longing called Better Than Darkness is False Darkness. And better than blindness is false blindness, and on it goes. Um, and so I just wanted to—I wanted to get a bit of proper Leonard in in amongst there, and I threw it in. And what was interesting was that it made total sense within the um, in the framework of wrapping the sun with silk. You know, make it something that can be looked at without hurting. Better than blindness better than darkness, you know, something you can cope with. Um, you know about Christo, this guy who used to wrap islands up with, like, like birthday presents. Do you know about him? Um, yeah, I've seen some of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I was on about with the job for Christo, you know, a man who could wrap the sun in silk um, and make it possible to stare at it, you know, so it wouldn't hurt you and sit in and just as a thing of divine beauty, um, which is kind of how I feel about Leonard Cohen. Brilliant. Thank you very much, H. You're welcome. It's a good question. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Um, that is it for Chapter 98. That's everybody who had a question. Thanks, H, for, for finding time. Oh, it was really fun. I'm sorry I was late. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I'm, 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 I'm kind of used to it. Uh, and we will see you again um, for Chapter 99. Chapter 99 of the Corona Diaries. So close to the 100. Oh, there's the croon cast, isn't it? La, 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 I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually thinking we should stop at 99. Just Why? stop. Because right, actually, what? I think in years to come, that will look like genius. Why? Because we we knew we could do 100. Uh, but we were so comfortable with it all that we thought, yeah. well, we don't need to prove it. Uh, yeah, good. That's cool. I've never been known for my restraint. No. No, and the looks that I'm getting from everybody else on the call, I don't think that's going to happen. But I just thought I'd put it out there as a <laughs> put it out there as a suggestion. So, folks, we'll be back for 99, and then we will be back for 100, whether Let's you want stop, it or not. Stop at 101. All right, all right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Happy Friday. H, one last thing before you go. Can you just say good night to Grace because she won't go to bed until you do. Good night, Grace. Sweet dreams, darling. Right, and on that note, everybody, it's been a pleasure, but you can all bugger off. 
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.